as kind of a church partnership, um, we make a podcast called Inhabit. And uh, there's a couple of people here that, that listen to it, which is awesome. Rowan, said before, my favourite pastor caster, which is one of my... Oh, hello. Ah, John Gould. <laughs> I, know the, I know the senior Gould and the junior Gould particularly well. And so when middle Gould over here or wherever he falls in the, in the Gould lineup was like, you want to come speak? I was like, yeah, I need more Goulds in my life. So I'm more here for you, Aidan and John, subsequently. Uh, I am good at rambling. Um, but uh, a couple more things about me. I'm married to Sam. I have two little boys, Noah, who's three and a half, and Leo, who is one and a half. Ridiculously cute and exhausting, um, but awesome little fellas. And um, yeah, basically my life involves uh, all sorts of things that start with P. I do a lot of preaching, I'm a pastor, I, I make podcasts, and uh, before any of those things, I was a poet which was kind of bizarre, because as a kid, you don't want to grow up and become a poet, but I just sort of did, accidentally. Um, so tonight's going to be a mashup, and it's not really going to be a standard sort of sermon. I hope you're okay with that. Are you okay with that? We're going to mix things up a bit. We're going to go a bit poetry slam, meets Sunday night service here. And um, yeah, I hope, that, I hope that we have fun. We're going to talk a little bit about miracles and creativity and spirituality um, but if it's okay with you, I'd like to start with a poem. All right. Slide just changed. Nice. Hey, serious slide. Hey, I want to live like the one who healed a blind man with fingers muddied at tips, when he could have done the same thing with a single word from his lips. It seems poetic and abstract, and that's part of the appeal, but it's coupled with the fact that the healing was real. Like when the word became flesh, the flesh didn't just speak words. The word became an integrated member of human suburbs. No disjuncture between the words brought forth from his mouth and the way his physical existence acted them out. And I want to live like the one who turned water to wine, when we tend to expect the opposite from the divine. Like he would rock up to the party, turn the wine into water, tell the DJ to go home and make sure everyone left at a sensible hour. That's tongue in cheek. But I want to live like the one who was quick on his feet, using humor when people tried to test his beliefs. Like take the log out of your eyes before pointing out specks. And it's easier for camels to get to heaven than your fat pockets and big checks. And pay your taxes, but you owe God at the highest rate possible. His image is engraved on you, so it's only logical. And the kingdom of heaven grows kind of like a weed, because that's the kind of plant that grows from mustard seeds. You see, the voice of Jesus in the public domain showed people their world through a change in the frame. And I want to do the same. I grew up thinking that Jesus lived like a nice, sensible Christian. Now I read these stories and wonder what was I missing find myself asking, if Jesus didn't live like most Christians do, how many Christians are living like Jesus do? Is that question sacrilege? What other labels can we attach to it? Am I an overpassionate activist playing the devil's advocate? Maybe just the opposite. Listen, I'm not on a mission to change theological positions. I just don't want to say I want to live like Jesus and then pretend like the image that is on me is Caesar's. I want to sound like 
live like, look like, and smell like, the one who didn't consider equality with God something to hold tight, owing none of the debt but paying the whole price. I want to live like the Christ who doesn't fight for his own rights but relinquishes power to elevate low lives. I want to stand up for Samaritan woman or paralyzed man or young child told there's no room in this land. I want to wrap my hand around the hand of Middle Eastern brother. I want to break bread in the company of displaced mother. I want to treat gay sister as more than a political position. I want to listen to the stories of stolen generations still living. You see, when the word became flesh, the flesh didn't just speak words. The word became an integrated member of human suburbs. And I want to follow the word in making my words flesh. The gospel is still good news, but sometimes we forget. Thank you. So um, this little poem of mine, uh, if I could summarize it in one sentence, it would be, most of the time, God is not what we expect him to be like. God is not what we expect God to be like. I don't know if you found this to be true, but I certainly have in my life many times what I have thought God is like, that that kind of version of God has been broken by what he is actually like when I experience uh, his transformation in my life. And as I read through the stories, I read through the Gospels, people encountering Jesus, they are constantly, um, their expectations of what God is like, what the Messiah would be like, are not being met. They're being kind of flipped upside down. God is not often what we would expect God to be like. And I was thinking this week uh, about this idea of miracles. Uh, You guys have been exploring these miracles. And I was thinking about the idea that, I don't know about you, but when I think about miracles... My first thought is that miracles are kind of out of the ordinary. Miracles are like weird things that happen that are like a departure from how things are supposed to be. But I was thinking this week and I was wondering, what if it's the other way around? And what if miracles are actually a way of opening our eyes to truer realities? Rather than being a departure or something out of the ordinary, what if what miracles really are is supposed to take us into a place of seeing how things were always intended to be. Does that make sense? Bit of a flip. And um, the poem I just shared starts with two of my favourite miracles, um, which I think do this. I think they show something true about what God is like, and they challenge our false views of what God is like. Uh, One of my very favourite miracles, so I wish I could have been there, Jesus turning water into wine. Who else has that as their favourite miracle? I mean, it's just awesome. You can, you can read about it in the second chapter of John. In John's Gospel, it's the first miracle that Jesus performs. He's at a massive party, and, uh, you know, it's a celebration, and the, the wine runs out, and the host of the party is really embarrassed. And Jesus performs this miracle, which just shows that God is a God of, of celebration. God is a God of party. God is a God of weddings. God is a God of like good food and wine and community. And like the first thing he does is, is kind of, I want to keep the party going, you know. <laughs> I love this miracle. I love what it says about God. And then there's this kind of really weird healing in, uh, in John chapter 9. And um, Jesus, you know, heals blind people every now and again. He has weird methods for healing blind people. 
And that's kind of how that sort of poem opens, this idea. I want to be like the one who, who healed a blind man with fingers muddied at tips. Well, he could have done the same thing with a single word from his lips. Like, God, if, if Jesus can heal, he can do it however he wants. So why is he kind of bending down and getting his finger in the dirt? And in John chapter 9, like, just I'm going to read a few verses from it, but um, they basically finds this blind guy who's been blind from birth. And, uh, you know, the people ask, like, um, did, was, was it his sin or his parents' sin? Like, they just want to focus on the negative. And Jesus says, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. And then basically, he, said, he spits on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. Uh, so the man went and washed, and then people start asking him about it. And, um, and he's like, you know, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. So I went, and then he told me to go and wash. So I washed, and then I could see. It's super weird. Um, it's, it's an unconventional, unexpected way of healing. But to me, it says a couple things about God. I mean, first, it says that God is a healer, that God wants to set things right, that God is about restoration, that God is about, um, you know, eyes are supposed to see, legs are supposed to walk, uh, people are supposed to be fed, every miracle seems to me to be about putting things back to how they're supposed to be when they've fallen apart a little bit. But the other thing I think it says is, is like, it says that God is creative, that God would respond to the human before him and, and would touch his humanity and would touch his humanity with, with the dust of the ground and, and with his saliva. Like, it's, it's unhygienic and gross. Um, but to me, you know, it's kind of, it's this creative way of, of kind of human confronting human and being healed. And um, I love it. The other thing I was thinking about um, miracles this week is that um, miracles seem to me like um, they are often about the external events. And there's constantly people kind of going after Jesus, wanting to see miracles, if you read through the Gospels. And he gets a bit upset about this. But we care more about, you know, the food being multiplied or the water being turned into wine or the, you know, the, the kind of physical thing that happens. But I think that really miracles are about an unseen reality. Miracles may have an external kind of event or appearance, but the true miracle, the, the real thing that God is up to is not seen with our eyes. It is something unseen, something in our internal worlds. And, um, you know, it's sort, of, it's sort of depressing, but I think about every person that Jesus healed, I mean, they're no longer here, right? Like, that was a temporary thing, that physical healing, but I think that that healing says something about what is unseen and, and everlasting. And, um, you know, I think that the biggest miracle that God can perform and does perform is the changing of our internal worlds, I'm convinced that the biggest miracle that God could, could perform in me and could perform in any one of us is changing us from the inside out, right? Rather than changing the stuff on the outside world. And I think we see this really clearly when we look at the disciples, these sort of random bunch of hopeless tradies that were totally transformed by the resurrection of Jesus. And uh, so I want to share another poem with you about about that transformation that the disciples went through. And this poem kind of picks up at the point in the story when Jesus has, uh, has resurrected, has come back. And, um, and Peter, one of, his, you know, one of his crew, one of his 
inner fold has denied him three times and, and then Jesus kind of invites him back in three times, reinstates him by saying to him on a beach over breakfast, Peter, we feed my sheep. So that's where this poem begins. So Jesus said to Peter, feed my sheep. And maybe we got caught up on the sheep part. As pastors watch their flocks flock to safe pastures, like the Lord is my shepherd. So I'm just going to live out the nice parts of the 23rd Psalm. Serene, calm, lying down on the farm. Let's just ignore that valley of the shadow of death part. We're so obsessed with comfort. Is that what Jesus wanted? For us to use our mustard seed faith to make mustard? Instead of moving the mountains, we were entrusted. Do you know the feeling when you believe it but don't trust it? Your belly turns to custard, you're feeling fragile and flustered, but when it's all done and dusted, I don't want a faith that's dusty and rusted. Do you know the biggest mountain God could move? It's me and you. It's the twisting, towering Everest of our human hearts fractured. But that's what the book of Acts is. Looking for miracles, for manifestations, healing, transformation. Look no further than the disciples. Awkward tradies turned into warriors. Fearful fishermen turned into fearless immigrants crossing borders in international waters proclaiming, hey, we just saw a dead guy come back to life. No, really, we just saw a dead guy come back to life. It's not enough to rock up to a building once or twice each week and pay respect to old architecture, conduct services like art lectures, sit down, stand up, flip some pages, repeat some phrases. We just saw a dead guy come back to life. So we're sharing everything we own. Like here are the keys to my home, but that alone is not enough. We don't just share our property. We refuse to participate in poverty. Amongst us, everyone is fed properly. It's not some strange new philosophy. It's not like Plato or Socrates. It's just responding honestly to God coming in modesty, dying rather shockingly, then seemingly impossibly coming back like this is where he wants to be. Such events could prompt you to stand before the kings of culture, before emperors, Caesars, heads of state, stating, do you think we care what you tell us? Do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? That's Acts 4, 19 to 20. That's Peter and John telling the authority to stick it. It's not an excuse to behave like a religious bigot, insensitively shoveling self-righteousness on your critics. But when I tuck away my faith, because it feels embarrassing to live it, I wonder, like, how well do I know the Holy Spirit? We're supposed to stand out. We're supposed to be counterculture. You can't be salt and light without being a little salty and bright. And I'm tired of flipping through the book of Acts, the glory days, and reminiscing like, if only. If only what? That God was our God? If only what? We believe the Holy Spirit was a person and not a catchphrase, not a phase you could catch on good Sundays when the sermon is theologically sound and delivered with extra oomph. Now don't misread me as cynical, but it's critical to note 
Taking notes won't change your life. Tweeting quotes won't change your life. Well-intentioned church attendance isn't going to change your life. But the Spirit of the living God can. The Spirit of God can raise a dead man, breathe new life into ancient lands, turn scattered sheep into faithful lambs with lion hearts and open hands. God, would you move the mountains in us? I, uh, I really believe that that is the miracle that God wants to do. That God wants to move the mountains that live inside us. But I don't believe that it happens very often like that. I believe that God is interested in this lifelong process of transforming us. And the more and more I, I follow Jesus and the more I... Uh, understand or, or sort of you know, see it fall apart, my faith, the more I realize that this process of, of following Jesus, for any of us in the room who are trying to do that, is just a gradual one piece at a time, one little mountain at a time within us being moved. And I think that is a huge um, miracle. And uh, I, I, I guess what excites me is I think that God is inviting every single one of us to partner with, with the Spirit of God, uh, to, be, to be in collaboration in moving these sort of things within us, changing our hearts from the inside out, turning us into people that are good news in the world, turning us into people that look like citizens uh, of this kingdom that Jesus revealed. And, um, you know, what does it look like to partner with that? Like, it's all good to talk about it at an abstract idea level. That's nice. God moved the mountains in us. Um, but, you know, I, I want to, I guess, give you something practical in a moment that I find helpful. Um, but I also just want to encourage you with a simple little prayer, which I find incredibly helpful. You know, I believe that the thing that changes how we live in the world more than anything else uh, is how we understand ourselves and how we understand God. And I love this story. Uh, you know, St. Francis of Assisi is regarded as... Um, one of the most Christ-like people to ever live. He was kind of known because he didn't just care about people, he cared deeply about people and he did so much for the poor, but he cared about the animals and he cared about the world. And he just, he lived out this, this sort of beautiful, generous uh, life that, that had a huge impact. And um, there's a story that for six years, St. Francis of Assisi just prayed this prayer every day, O oh God... Who are you? Oh God, who am I? The way that you answer those two questions will make a huge impact on the kind of life that you live in the world. Right? Does that make sense? So I want to give you that as a little practice. It's a little prayer that for me is a huge part of uh, collaborating with, partnering with the Spirit of God is asking, God, shape my understanding of who I am and shape my understanding of who you are. And reshape it. It needs constant reshaping. I pick up all sorts of false stories. But I want to do something with you. I want to get a little bit practical. Like I said, this is a bit of a mashup. Um, I, uh, I, you know, preach sermons and perform poetry, but I also run a lot of writing workshops uh, as a writer. Um, and I want to give you a little tool right now that in every context that I find myself, this is something I recommend to people as something that I find both as a, as a, a writer and a creative but also just as a person and as a disciple, I find this incredibly helpful and practical. 
And um, are you ready for the most profound sentence that I'm going to say tonight? It is a good thing to take a dump every day. Profound, right? It's very true, very true. Thank you, Lauren, for agreeing with me. It's a good thing to take a dump every day. Now, there are multiple ways you could hear that sentence. Uh, but what I'm talking about is a little practice, a little practice that helps me as a writer, but a little practice that helps me um, as someone who's trying to follow Jesus. And every day, I basically try and just take a few moments, doesn't have to be long, just to dump some of this crazy brain out onto a page or onto a screen. And I find that when I have this daily practice of just letting it out, there's all sorts of crazy stuff in my head. I don't know about you, but my head is just so full of all the things I need to do and all the things I, you know, sort of am confused about and all all the groceries and all the stuff of life. And um, I don't think we're very good in our culture at having rhythms and practices of, of processing that stuff and in particular sitting with God around that stuff. So I do this in writing workshops. I do this in churches. I do this in my own life. I just help people to just get a little bit of the craziness of their brain out onto a page. So I want you to get your phone out of your pocket, if you have a phone. If you don't have a phone, uh, maybe find some, some of that, that ancient device paper uh, around the place. And here's the rules of this very short exercise we're going to do. And I'm, just, I'm doing this because you know, I think we, we hear a lot of information, um, and information is great. But I think we're changed by habits and practices and, and in partnership with the Spirit of God. Um, so what we're going to do, I'm going to put a two-minute timer on my phone. It's a very short exercise. And I want you to start with the sentence, God, would you move the mountains in me? And then for two minutes, you're just going to write whatever comes into your head. And the only rules are your fingers can't stop moving the whole time. So if you get stuck, right, I'm stuck. I don't know what to write. But I promise you, if you keep going, things will come. You've got a lot of stuff in that brain. And just be honest. Be, be unfiltered. No one else is going to read it. Are you ready for this experiment? The daily dump is what I call this. I try and do this every day. All right. So, starting with, God, would you move the mountains in me? And we're going to do two minutes, and you can't stop until the end of the two minutes, and it begins now.
Now, that was, that was very quick. That was only two minutes, but I would love to just quickly gauge the room. Uh, do one or two people want to share what their experience was like of doing that? Who found that, um, you know, positive in some way? A few people. What were some of the things that you found that did or that was good about that? My friend over here, put your hand up, yeah. Sorry. So. Yeah, wow. Two minutes of brain farting brought some clarity. That is a profound thing, right? We get very confused, and I actually think that... Uh, I, I am of the belief that the Spirit of God is constantly trying to speak to us. That there is not occasional moments in our life where God wants to break through and speak, but I believe God wants to speak to us in every moment. And what if God wants to give us some clarity about our jumbled thoughts by creating space to do something like this? Anybody else? What was, what was your process like just then of this little experiment? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, often we're, we don't know what we're thinking until we start thinking about what we're thinking. But it's actually a very profound thing. Yeah, yeah. Two minutes is the micro version of this, but yeah. Yeah, 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 for sure. Um, yeah, if I do this with, with kids in classrooms, you know, just with year seven kids, year eight kids, year 12 kids, like I usually do three minutes. And even kids that hate writing love doing this and, and kind of go, whoa, like I was really angry about something. I was stressed about something and I got some of it out. Um, now, I could preach many sermons on the relationship between creativity and spirituality, that's something I'm deeply passionate about, but I, I just think that they're two sides of the same coin. And for me, I don't view myself as a creative. I think we're all creative, and we all, I think, are invited to engage in the process of creating in all kinds of ways, shapes, and forms. Um, but this, to me, is a, a creative process that is also a prayer process, that is also a, a kind of um, reflect, a process of reflection, seeing what's going on in my life. Who thinks if you did this every day this week, there will be some positive impact to your family, to yourself, to the people you work with? Yeah? Yeah? A few hesitant. That's all right. Give it a go. I, I reckon give it a go. Um, it doesn't have to take long. Um, I, if you've got more time, then for sure, you know, write for longer than two minutes. But I do it this way because even in two minutes, it's kind of amazing what we can see and what kind of stuff starts to come up. And that's just the beginning, right? Then we've got we've to work out what we're going to do with that stuff. And we've got to pray that God really would help us to identify the next steps. But uh, I want to give you something practical. So I encourage you, if, if that was good in some way, set an alarm and maybe do that before you go to work tomorrow.
or do it before you go to bed tonight and, uh, and give it a go. For me, I've found that quite a profoundly transformative practice. Um, uh, you know, I've, I've kind of touched on it a bit, and I'm, I'm going to finish in a moment. I'm going to do one more poem, and my friend Lauren is maybe going to uh, play some ambient vibes in the background. Um, you know, I look through scripture, uh, I see a story of restoration. When I look at miracles, I see uh, glimpses into a truer reality, and, and in those glimpses into a truer reality, I often see uh, these images of things being renewed and restored and, and being made into... Um, you know, the, the reflection of God's glory on earth. And uh, um, I think that God's constant process of mountain moving and, and miracle working and, and making a way, those kind of lyrics that we sung before, um, it's slow and it can be kind of discouraging at times. You know, we probably want to just see some big external miracle because often the work of discipleship or the work of being transformed by God can feel very slow, can't it? It can feel frustratingly slow. Um, but I kind of hold on to um, words in the book of Revelation. You know, God says the very end of the Bible in Revelation 21, He says, I am making all things new. And um, I wrote a poem to remind myself as well as any others who may need reminding, to hold on to those words when they can be very hard to believe. Um, so I actually wrote a book um, of poetry called All Things New, uh, but I don't really want to give that much of a plug because it feels kind of wrong um, in a church context. But if you're interested in, in the kind of poems I've done tonight and that sort of part of my work, then come and chat to me if you're interested in a book. Um, but this is the poem um, that I guess it's named after and I uh, encourage you to experience this however is helpful to you. If you want to sit and close your eyes and, and reflect that way, you can. Otherwise, you know, just be comfortable. But um, these are words for me, and I hope that they're words for you as well. I hold some words in the pockets of my well-worn soul. I pull them out when I'm slipping through my own sense of control. I hold them tight between my fingers and I take a deep breath. And as oxygen expands, my lungs to push against my edges and I let go of myself, become defenseless. I bring these words to my tongue to taste if they're still true. Six simple words. I am making all things new. I am making all things new. But at first, those words taste like never, never land. Like, is this plane going to ever, ever land? I get new pain, but my hope feels secondhand. Do you know when it feels like everything is a gradual falling to pieces? It's all cracks and creases, all fragmented pieces raining down around us in no logical sequence. And I honestly wonder at times why we're still here. If there's a new thing to come, this could all disappear. And surely this universe would be better without us. Sometimes I'm pretty sure this earth would be better without us. But then I'm reminded that every cell in my body testifies to resurrection. Every part has once passed and yet sparked new flesh. And this person standing before you is literally being made new. 
and the body I once wore when I tore others to pieces with my arrogant opinions I had attached to the name Jesus. Well, every part of that body has been replaced over time and still it continues to be redesigned, realigned. I am becoming refined. And that seems about as real as grace gets that the parts of yourself that you struggle to live with are the graves where new flowers can be birthed in the image of the one who brings new from the bones of the old. We aren't discarded, we're told. We hold treasure like gold in the very fragile clay jars of your and my souls. But this story is not one of evacuated souls. It's an incoming kingdom incarnate and whole. It's skin and bone and mud and mess. It's the creator of all things, humbly dressed in this very flesh, bagged up dust that is etched with the imprint of God on our spirit-laced breath. And the design does not end with decay and death. Christ turned death to a palette to paint life from. And yes, all things will be turned inside out and rung upside down. Like the king of the cosmos wearing thorns for a crown. Like life bursting forth from a valley of dry bones. Like the meek ones inheriting the earth as their own. This all things new is not a whitewashed product from a distant manufacturing facility. This maker is a little more into sustainability. This new is the sword beaten to a plowshare. It's a barbed wire fence in the hands of a jeweler. It's, uh, it's a dance hall filling the lungs of an old hospital. It's love where there was violence. It's hope where there is silence. It's a return to the true form originally inside us. So when you feel yourself slipping through your own sense of control, place these words in the pockets of your well-worn soul. Hold them tight between your fingers. Take a deep breath. I am making all things new. God is making all things new. And that includes you. Can I pray for you guys? Father, I thank you so much for the opportunity to be here tonight with brothers and sisters trying to follow you, trying to live your way. Or maybe some who are curious and and checking that out. I just thank you for the opportunity to be in this room at this moment in time. I pray that you would bring all of us to the present moment in a way that we could hear what you are saying to each of us right now. I thank you that you want to speak to us, not just once in a blue moon, but every day. And I do pray that you would give us uh, a vision of renewal in our own lives, in our communities, in our families, in our workplaces. And I pray that your spirit would empower uh, each of us in this room uh, to partner with you in the work that you want to do in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.